Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews 12. And as you do, just a huge thank you to to everybody that put that together for us. Thank you for these five years. We didn't realize that a year in, we'd face a global pandemic together, but God was good and faithful through that. We didn't realize that there would be... um, new additions to the Lewis family when we came. Um, We had no idea that God would give us two beautiful granddaughters. Today, we celebrate Miss Lucy's fourth birthday. Hard to believe. She's coming to the house later. We said, well, what do you want? It's her birthday. And two days ago was her daddy's birthday, our son-in-law Parker. And so they got to choose the menu. And for her side, Lucy chose hot dogs and pancakes with Capri Suns. So, 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 um, This is going to be an interesting menu and everybody comes to the house later today. And uh, I'm not all sure what Parker's chosen, but we're going to have a smorgasbord. Uh, But to see your your children, you know, our kids, particularly Hannah and Bobby being in seventh and eighth grade when we moved, that's kind of a tough time to, to move multiple states away. But what I love is that they've continued to serve the Lord. They're serving him now. They work with our children and, and they serve in different capacities. Um, all of them singing. They sounded pretty good together, didn't they? I thought, man, it's like the Partridge family up there or something. They, and their mama can sing. It's a, it's a real blessing. Um, I, I want to show you more about what God has done. So what I've done is developed a very, very, very short little message, State of the Church, where I'm just going to read a few scriptures. Wednesday night, now this is weather dependent, and we'll let you know. Wednesday night, um, We're going to talk about where the children of Israel went in and set these 12 memorial stones in the Jordan before they crossed over. Um, They said, look, we want this to be a reminder to you of what God has done. And for the future, you can talk about God's faithfulness because God's been so good to this church uh, far before I was ever here. Um, But of course, she's faced challenges and ups and downs. And so we, we certainly want to see more ups than downs. But In the last five years, we're going to set 12 big stones Wednesday night, 12 things that we can celebrate. How many lives have been changed by the gospel? How many people has God touched and used and joined with our family? Uh, Not just numbers, but other things. What has God done um, here and around the globe? What's God done in your school? And then we have several big items to vote on, including new pastoral additions, Um, the growth necessitates more men on the team. So we have some to present to you. Um, That's Wednesday. If we have a weather issue, we'll delay it for a week or two, depending on the the, the schedule. But this Wednesday, come eat Chick-fil-A at 5, 5.30. Come out uh, at 6.30. It's not 7.30. Normally it's 7.30, but it's at 6.30. Because it's going to take a while to get through all the items I don't know that I've ever been any more excited in 25 years of ministry about a family meeting over potential ministry opportunities than I am about this week. Um, The Lord really has done exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. I want to give you one little tiny perspective on something. My first church when I went to Salem in uh, 2003, had been in ministry at that point four years full-time, surrendered in 98, started full-time in 99. Our church budget was $168,000 for the year, for the year. And then God began to bless that ministry and we grew and grew and grew and we saw a lot of people saved and and brought into the kingdom and then... um, God moved us after 11 years to Florida, and we were there for five years with with Pastor Todd. You saw Todd Jones, the first guy, a wonderful team of people. 
We were so far from our family and after losing both of our fathers and God bringing us back, we were very grateful to get the call to East Tennessee. And, and um, what's been so interesting about that, like I said, my kids were in seventh and eighth grade and that's a hard time. Holly was already in college. She was fine. Heather was, she was fine. She was already married and in North Carolina. But Heather, um, Hannah and Bobby really thrived over here at Grace Christian Academy. They really not just survived it, they really did thrive. And we began to see God moving and working. We had some debt. We had a considerable amount of debt. We had some things we had to deal with, some, some, some holes to climb out of, if you will, with some, some decline. It's hard when you get a guy before you that's been there four months and then he leaves. And there was a lot of instability in that. But you know what? God was faithful this week alone. This week alone. The Grace family gave over $700,000 in one week to the ministry of grace, not including the school. Over $700,000 in a week. And I think about what God's done, $168,000 budget for a year, over $700,000 given in a week. Number one, I want to know what y'all are doing for work because it's good. But number two, I just want to say thanks be to God because also better than that, every week we're seeing life change, salvations, people coming to the family of faith, people coming to the family of grace. We have a life at grace next week and already have a big enrollment in that. We've already added slots to the marriage conference because it filled. We have 15 slots we just added. So if you want to go, you want to get a little extra sugar, 15 slots, that's all that's left. 15 couples because the others are full. And I'm very, very grateful for a family that loves the Lord, a wife that loves Jesus and tries to keep me straight, though y'all know that's almost impossible. Um, but she's an incredible lady. She did lose several games of foosball to me last night in a vicious foosball tournament, but I still think she's a winner. So... I'm just grateful that our family can be here and be a part of this. I want to get back into this series, and today is an incredibly important message uh, about Hebrews. We're talking about Hebrews and Anchor for the Soul. We're going to finish this book together, guys, and I want to look at Hebrews 12.3. I want y'all to go ahead and just say this with me, and then we're going to unplug, we're going to unpack the first few verses here of Hebrews 12 this morning, okay? Let's join together. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Now, we're going to set the stage for this. God's Word today offers us encouragement to endure. Encouragement to endure. Now, when you think about that, I ask them to give me a graphic of a runner, like a long-distance runner. You say, Pastor, I don't want to just endure it. I don't want to just survive life. I really do want to thrive. I get it. I just told you, my kids didn't just survive. They've thrived. Praise God. However... If you live the Christian life long enough, you know there are times when the best you can do is put one foot in front of the other foot. You don't understand what's coming. There are days I don't understand what's coming, but we must continue to go forward. This is what I despise about the false narrative of the prosperity gospel. Just rub the divine lamp the right way and God will be your cosmic genie. He'll give you what you want. Not necessarily. He's gonna give you what you need, 
But oftentimes we confuse the wants and the needs of life. And what we've learned is that these Jews who had become Christians were in a bad state. Nero and the gang hated them. He was going to burn many of them alive. They were going to be tortured to renege upon their faith. And the writer of Hebrews, be it Paul or whoever it was, says, don't go backwards. Live by faith. All of chapter 11, live by faith. Faith must mean that we choose to live as though the word of God is true, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of emotions, regardless of cultural trends. We have a confidence in the word of the Lord. And no matter the consequences, we will say, thus saith the Lord. And we have living trust and intellectual assent that combine into active living faith. It is belief that impacts behavior. One thing I will say that has changed dramatically in my time in ministry, one thing that's changed dramatically in the last 20 to 25 years, We used to speak with almost a similar voice. The community and the school system and the church, particularly in the South, all sort of held the same ground. Now it feels more and more like the church and the men and women of God who proclaim the truth of God. We're out on an island and the world is going crazy far and fast against God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And they're going farther and farther, and it seems there's more and more pressure. Just be quiet. Don't speak the truth. Because, you know, you get these lovely letters and correspondences where people are mad, and if you say anything that aligns with biblical truth but doesn't align with cultural sensitivity, people will get upset. And I'm just telling you guys, one thing I've learned these five years and the 20 before it is that if we compromise and give in just an inch You give the devil an inch and he'll try to be your ruler. We must not compromise on the truths of the word of the living God. We must stay true to what God has said. We must walk by faith. We can please God. We obtain a good testimony. In fact, I gave you 15 truths from chapter 11. Took us four weeks to get through it, but I won't repeat all of those. I just want you to see a few key truths today on what it means to endure this race of the Christian life. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. And again, if I don't say it before we finish today, thank you for your support and for your kindness today. Therefore, so that's connecting that, of course, to the previous material. There were no chapters, there were no verses. This was just a continuous letter. And so because of all of these incredible men and women that have gone before us, They didn't always obtain all the promises, but they continue to look forward to God's promises. Therefore, we also, the writer says, so we who are living now, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares or besets us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus... The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Heavenly Father, what a perfect message today for a time when the world is running far and fast from you and yet we want to stay true and hold the line. We want to look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. 
We want to look to the perfect example and the perfect God-man, Christ. Lord, we know today that he is the head of the church. I'm grateful, I'm humbled to be called here to serve alongside of this Grace family, but I am not and never will be the head of this church. The true leader here is the greatest servant leader the world has ever known, that is Jesus. And so in this time, let us celebrate him well. Let us consider these truths before us and consider the saints of old as we endure this race called the Christian life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. So what must we reject? How must we run? And what must we or whom would we look to to enjoy the victory? So I've kind of given it's a very, very simple outline. To endure the race successfully, first lay aside every weight in sin. Number one, lay aside every weight and sin. Now, it doesn't take some radical biblical scholar to see how important the word endure or endurance is in this text. It shows up in verse 1. It shows up in 2, 3, in 7, in 20, sometimes translated patience, but the key word endure or endurance occurs over and over and over. And let me give you some basic definitions. To bear up under trial. To continue to move forward when the way is extremely challenging. So we would say it like this with the old phrase, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? A steady determination to keep going regardless of the temptation to slow down or give up. But what is the race? What is this race that the writer's talking about? Well, it's an athletic metaphor showing that the faith-filled life is demanding and grueling at times. It's an interesting word, actually, in the Greek. The Greek word for race there is where we get our English word agony. If you read the Greek letters, it would spell out, and what we would get later etymologically, the word agony. That means there's some grit and grind and striving Now, I don't know if the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. I tend to believe he may have. But one thing I know about the Apostle Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, about half of it, is that if he were alive today, he would probably read the sports pages of the newspaper, wouldn't he? If he were alive, he would probably tune into Sports Center regularly and follow the progress of various teams, be they, you know, championship Tar Heels or hoping to be championship Vols one day. He would follow... Different teams. I'm sure he would follow them. I hope the boys both do well. I hope we meet again in March. And I'm sure he would be paying attention. I don't know that he would go so far as to buy a silly subscription to Peacock to watch a playoff football game. But I do believe he would follow the athletics of his day. We know that the Greeks and the Romans of this time frame were keenly interested in athletic contests, not only for physical well-being, but for the honor of their town and their nation. It was a patriotic thing to be a good athlete and to bring glory to your country, just as it is in our Olympic Games now. 
If we think about all the allusions to sports in the Bible, I've given all of these to you in your notes. Acts 20, 24, that Paul said he wants to finish his race with joy. 2 Thessalonians 3, were, uh, 1, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. Philippians 3, 13, 14, he wants to press toward the prize, the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 6, 12, he talks about wrestling, that Greco-Roman style of wrestling not against flesh and blood. 1 Timothy 6, 12, to fight the good fight of faith. 2 Timothy 4, 7, not only to fight the good fight, but Paul says to finish the race, to keep the faith. He said, I've done that. He talks about running, but running not just to run, running to win. And so when we think about Hebrews, the danger of these Jews stopping the race, the danger of Jews, you know Jesus is your Messiah, you say you've trusted him, but now because of the persecution, you're in danger of going back. Let's just go back to our old ways, go back to our Judaism, because they're not getting very persecuted anymore. The, the, um, the, the vitriol had shifted, if you will, from the Jews now to the Christians. So Jews were getting left alone by the Roman officials. And now they're saying, don't go back to the old ways because look, there's this cloud, this cloud of witnesses. What is that? Well, it's a, in Greek literature, it's metaphorically referring to a group of people. There's this great group, this throng in glory, the models of the faith, particularly from verse 11. And these witnesses are heroes and heroines of the faith. Now, I think for a lot of my life, I misunderstood this text. And until really fleshing it out and getting back into the original language and really studying and reading men much smarter than me, I really don't think this is an arena full of Old Testament saints looking down at us going, run well, keep going, don't quit. I've been taught that though. I've heard that. There's this great arena and like the country song, holes in the floor of heaven, and they're looking down. And now the more I've studied scripture, the more I realize that's really not what the scripture teaches. In fact, I would say it this way. We are watching them for encouragement rather than them watching us in examination. So when we think about the great cloud of witnesses, Paul or whoever writes says, don't quit your race. Look at the winners who came before you. These are the heroes. They're not watching us racing like people seated in a stadium. The word witnesses does not mean spectators. It's where we would eventually get the English word martyr. They are our witnesses. God is witnessing through them. You don't have to quit. They made it. You can make it. That's one of the reasons, folks, we don't pray to saints. See, this is an errant teaching of the Catholic Church and a few other liturgical groups that you can get to God by praying to the Virgin Mary or praying to saints or there's a saint for this and a saint for that. That is not at all what the Bible teaches. You pray to God one way through Jesus, the Son of God. You don't have to go through other people. They're not the ones giving you power and victory. Christ and Christ alone gives you power and victory. They're just people like you and people like me. And so we go to God through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, but we must be disciplined in this journey as we look back and consider what these people endured. And we look ahead in our own lane, in our own race. Think about 1 Corinthians 9 for a moment. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize must be temperate in all things. I'll unpack this. 
And they obtain a perishable crown, but we are running for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run not with uncertainty and I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it under subjection, lest when I've preached to others, I myself am disqualified. So what is he saying? Well, look at the verse again and let's see what he says. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. They've gone before us, so we're looking to them. And now let's lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race set before us. Now, I want you to look at this because I was trying to think, how do I illustrate this? Because again, the Lord's changed my thinking on this concept of weight and sin. I always conflated them. There's the weight of sin and then the sin, you maybe have a particular sin that easily entangles or ensnares you. I don't really read it that way now. Let me tell you what I mean. I didn't even know what this was at first, even though I grew up playing baseball. This is a newer, fancier type of bat weight than I used to use. I used to use the little rubber-coated donuts. But our guys over here at GC have these fancy ones. So this is a bat weight. Do y'all guys, you guys know what this is for when you're up to bat when you're getting up in the batter's box and you're going to put this slide this onto your bat and then you're going to swing 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 you're going to have this extra I think they're normally about 16 ounces about a pound or so and you swing 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 you take off the weight then when you get up for the real thing what does the bat feel feels light you get around quicker get around better on the ball so is this a good thing or a bad thing depends on when you're using it It's a good thing when you're up to bat, when you're on deck, we used to say, it's a bad thing when you're at the plate. You got me? It's a good thing at the right time. I do believe that the writer of Hebrews is saying there are some weights that aren't in and of themselves necessarily bad, but there's a time to shed them. There's a time to shed them. I'll come back to that. But then... There's a different kind. This is, these are supposed to be ankle weights. I've tried them. They're useless to me. I, I loathe them. They're very heavy. So I use them on my lead sled to shoot. Uh, it's full of lead weight. So I put them on a thing that helps me when I'm shooting to stabilize my gun. And I have a couple of these, but you wrap them around your ankles and then you're supposed to work out with them. I call that torture. I think that's ridiculous. But what is the writer really trying to get at when we think about these two different things here? Well, think about it for just a moment. Too much weight would hinder someone in the race. This jacket isn't a bad jacket, but I certainly would never think about running a race with it on. It would ensnare me, entangle me. It would slow me down. It would hold me back. I don't know that you would see much difference, but I know it wouldn't be good. But what are the weights that we should remove that we can run? Well, anything that hinders our progress. It could be even good things in the eyes of others. A winning athlete, guys, doesn't choose between good and bad. They choose between better and best. A winning athlete's not too worried about the bad. They're choosing the best between better and best. So let's say this. You have 25 good things you're doing in your life, but number 23, 24, and 25 are keeping you from your family. They're keeping you from being most effective as a husband, a father, a wife, a mother. They're keeping you from the best. That is a weight that you need to get rid of. Good things can be weights. Let me give it to you in this context. I believe by nature of this context, the writer is saying, hey, look, that Old Testament system you had, those old rites and rituals, in and of themselves, when God gave us the old system, it wasn't bad. God wouldn't have given it to us if it was bad, but it's a new day. It's a new time. 
You don't need to encumber yourself with the weights of old. Don't go back into religious rite and ritual. Walk with Christ. Do not get entangled in those things. And then he talks about a sin like this would uh, ensnare your leg. It goes around. I was going to put it on, but I just don't want to. It's too much trouble. And so this thing ensnares you. It weighs you down. It's bad. It's always bad. Well, the sin that so easily ensnares, he could have been talking about the generic sin of unbelief. Look, these people believed, all of them, they believed, they believed, they believed, they believed, they had faith, it counted to them as righteousness, all of this. So the general sin may be unbelief. I think it's more specific than that though. I think this may be more, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, it may actually be something that was quite specific to each and every reader individually. And I think you probably get what I'm saying, that we all have that thing or those few things that really weigh us down, that really tie us up. Think about it. A strenuous race demands perseverance. This is no sprint. You guys know this is a marathon. But these folks before have finished their race. Now it's our turn and we've got to keep running. And while they can inspire us, they can't run for us. And listen to me, the saints of old can't give us strength for our race. Did you realize that? Only from Christ will you get the power and endurance to keep going in your own race. Is there anybody that's got something in your life that is weighing you down? It's time to get into the box and take that off so you can swing away. Is there any sin or pet sin or series of sins that's weighing you down. You need to give it up to run your race. You will not run in a way to win with all of the extra baggage. They're entangling and ensnaring sins that can keep us from God's best. We've got to lay aside every weight and every sin. Also to endure the race successfully, I love this point. It's very brief, but it says, look to Jesus and his finished work. Look to Jesus and his finished work. Verse two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He has sat down. That's finished work. We've talked about it already. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, looking to Jesus. Have eyes for no one but Jesus. I love what one commentator said. It said this, we glance at the saints, but we gaze at Jesus. That's pretty good. It's okay to glance at a David, an Abraham, even a Rahab. It's okay to glance, but gaze upon your Lord. And when you feel like you can't summon another ounce of energy for the race before you, think of the race before him. It was incomparably more difficult than our own. He is the author, archegos. It's related to the word like architect or archetype. He is the author, the founder. It was translated captain of our salvation over in chapter two and verse 10. We talked about Jesus as our captain. It means he pioneered the way. He pioneered this faith. He is the founder. He is also the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. So the Bible uses different phrases, right? It says he is the alpha and the what? Good. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the, 
That means he's everything. A to Z, he is all in, all in all. The first word, the final word. He's there at the beginning, he'll be there forevermore. That is the Jesus we're talking about. Not just a good moral teacher, not just someone we look to as an example. He is your Lord and Savior. Do you know him? Have you trusted him? Are you walking with him? He will get you through the deepest of valleys and the darkest of storms. And he kept his eye on the goal for the joy set before him. Joy. It's this idea of an eternal throne. He finished his work and he sat down at the throne of God. Tetelestai, paid in full, it is finished. He sat there as our prince of peace and eternal savior to give us forgiveness of sin and a hope of heaven. Think about this. Jesus knew that he would just follow the Father's will. Yes, he would go through the pain. Yes, there would be the shame, but there would be the joy on the other side. In the New Testament, we read in the Gospels about the, the pain that a mother will endure before the joy that comes in the birth of a child. In the cross, Jesus endured it. And it is really the perfect example for us that we will have, even the Bible says, take up your cross to follow him. One of my favorite verses is John 16, where Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, when you think about a, an athlete, they must keep their eye on the goal. And the goal here is not just some temporary wreath. It's not just some medal. The goal is our Lord's love and presence when we see him face to face. I'll just give you a quick example of what this writer would have understood in his time. Running was one of the most popular sports in the Olympic Games. We're talking about obviously the ancient Olympic Games. The place for the race was called the stadium, stadium, because it was equal to a stadion in Greek, which was 600 feet long. And so we've seen them when we've traveled the Holy Land, when we've traveled this part of the world around Greece, we've been to Athens and we've seen these ancient stadions, these stadiums that are um, kind of oblong, oval, we call it a stretched oval. And there's something very interesting, I won't get into all the nuance, but where the contestants, so I'll pretend I'm a runner, I'll come down this way, where the runners enter, they're going to enter from one of the long ends, and then at the other end, there would be a pillar indicating the finish line, but also there's a place of, of seating there where a judge sat. This was long before the photo finish, right? So somebody sitting there and looking. And what was so interesting was they would hold within their hands the prize. Whatever they were going to win, many times it was like a wreath. There's a lot to say about that in the Bible, but that's another message another day. But for this, this wreath or this, this crown, if you will, but it was perishable. But the runners would come in. Now, here's the crazy thing about running in ancient Greece. Most runners ran with little to nothing on. Okay, I hope we never go back to ancient Greece running. But they ran with little to nothing. Why? Well, they had to shed extra weight. You know how runners will do that, right? That's why I don't run. I only run when I'm chased and I let Cindy catch me most of the time. And so they, they ran, they, they shed their weight, 
before the race, but then they also shed their clothing, almost all of it. Some did shed it all, but the goal was when we were ready for our race, we looked to the one who sat at the finish line, think the judge who holds the prize. Now think about what this writer is saying. Just like you would tell your athletes, keep your eye on the prize, keep your eyes up and ahead and look so that you understand where you're going. What the writer is telling us, church, is that in our race of life, we keep our eyes not just on the prize, but on the judge, the one who is sitting at the table at the finish line. And he says, throw off anything and everything, strip down if you have to, so that you can run in such a way as to win. The cool thing about running in the Christian life is if you win, you don't make someone else a loser. That's the beautiful part about this. There can be multiple winners. I don't mean it like upward sports where you get a trophy and you get a trophy and everybody's a winner. That's not what I mean. I don't like it. What I mean though is that there can be multiple winners if you win, if you run in such a way that you are designed to run and you give it your all and you run to the one who is both the judge and the giver of the prize. To endure the race successfully, lay aside every weight, lay aside every sin. To endure the race successfully, look to Jesus and his finished work. Let me finish. To endure the race successfully, consider what our Lord faced in his own race. Verse three. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. When the Bible says consider him, the Greek there is a word of comparison. Consider him. Compare what you're facing to what he faced. Compare his hostility with your hostility. The same opposition is faced by all who follow him. I have a whole line of scripture. Acts 28, Galatians 6, Colossians 1, 2 Timothy 3. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. When I read that email of somebody that's just completely out of sorts, that's not real persecution if they're coming at me or coming at our church. I have to remember that that is not real persecution. In fact, I would say that many of us living in this land really haven't faced what so many of our friends in various parts of the world has faced. My friend Bijou, who was on the screen a little earlier from India, his pastors in his network, his church planners, they're facing some things that we can hardly imagine right now. But when you do face mocking and pressure and exhaustion, remember it does not compare to what our Lord himself has faced. And as we reflect on our own hardship, no matter what that may be, assess carefully the endurance of Jesus. He endured hostility from stubborn sinners. And I, for one, have never faced such intense evil as Jesus did. His sterling example will stabilize me and stabilize you in my fear and concern. I love what Sir Winston Churchill famously said many years ago. As prime minister of the UK said, never give in. Never give in, never, 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 never in anything great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Don't you quit. 
Don't you stop. We must look to Jesus and consider him lest we become exhausted. There may come a day when we would be mocked. That day's actually here, let me say, that day's here. But there may come a day when we would be assaulted and scourged and forsaken and handed over by informers, maybe imprisoned, maybe falsely accused, maybe even killed. I just described for you the last 72 hours of Jesus's life here on this earth. You can go back through everything I said, mocked, assaulted, scourged, forsaken, handed over by informers, imprisoned, falsely accused, killed. That's the life of Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews said, don't be weary, don't be discouraged, don't be exhausted, don't be faint-hearted, don't lose heart. William Barclay, a Scottish minister and theologian said that Aristotle used the very same types of words. I love this. I thought this was very vivid. He used the very same words for an athlete who flings himself on the ground in panting exhaustion and collapse after he surged past the winning post of the race. Think about this. The writer of Hebrews is effectually saying, don't give up too soon. Don't relax before the tape. Don't collapse before the winning post is passed. Stay on your feet until you get to the end. You know, folks, I've I've learned and I'm learning that we will never get through this hazardous race without divine aid. But this letter and the rest of God's word assures us that the saints made it before us. But Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, he's the one that we can truly look to to find the power and the peace to keep going. To endure the race successfully, lay aside every weight and sin. Look to Jesus and his finished work. Consider what our Lord faced in his own race. I was trying my best to come up with a way to end this the other day. So Wednesday, I typically have everything written and submitted by Wednesday. It's just something I've always done to be ahead of it. The Lord can change whatever he wants to change at any time. And on the fly, he always changes something. But I came back here. And I came back here and I was walking around. Nobody else was in here at the time. And I actually walked this uh, section right here. And then I went to the back and I looked at the baptistry. And I was reflecting a little bit as we've been talking about getting ready for this Wednesday. And I was reflecting on all of the many, many, many people who've come through that water. And I was thinking about all that our Lord has done. I thought about some of the challenges that we faced here. I thought about some of the changes that needed to take place. I thought about a lot of things that we needed to do and things that we're still doing. And I thought about God's grace in those things. And and then I began to think, you know, as a pastor... I get to celebrate a lot of things with people, but I also am privy to know of a lot of pain and hurt. It's almost like the best of times and the worst of times, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Ministry rarely takes place in the middle. It normally takes place in the celebrations. Oh, wow, there's a new birth, either spiritually or physically, or there's a death. There's a divorce. There's a desertion. There's an addiction. And ministry takes place there. And I began to, I got my phone out and I began to type. Are you 
And I was thinking about you. And I want you to understand that. And you say, you couldn't have been thinking of me. I promise. I was thinking about all of you that would be here at nine o'clock. And then the next batch at 10.30 and then the thousands and thousands more that would be there. And I began to type and then my thumbs couldn't keep up with the words so I began to record. And then I came back out and standing right in that corner looking out, I said, are you hurting? Are you struggling? Are you in pain, facing shame, Distraught, depressed, downhearted, fearful, anxious, overwhelmed, exhausted, uncertain, broken, angry, or bitter. Well, on the authority of God's word and by the power of God's spirit, I'm here to tell you it's time to trade your bitter days for better days. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. What must you do? Look to Jesus. And as I continued and, and it was barely keeping up, I said, let's remember, there was no victory before he faced a vicious mob, but Christ endured it. There was no crown before the old rugged cross but Christ carried it. There was no triumph before they laid him in a borrowed tomb, but Christ burst forth from it on the third day. And our savior is alive and victorious for now and forevermore. He is our conquering king, our risen one, king of kings, Lord of lords. And he will see you through your race all the way to your finish line if you keep your eyes firmly fixed on him. Jesus and only Jesus. I may not know what you face, but I know the one who came before us and he will give us encouragement to endure. Stand with me this morning, church, as Jeff comes up to play the invitation. I don't exactly know why those words of hurt and struggle and pain and shame and depression and, and, and being anxious and overwhelmed, I don't know why the Lord gave me all of that at one time, but I know this, somebody here needs to let some stuff go. That I know. I've preached long enough, I trust the Lord enough to know that in preparation for this moment, because the Holy Spirit was as real Wednesday as he is in this moment, when the Lord lays something on your heart in relation to the word, I realize that somebody here, I hope more than one, needs to hear this. You've got too many good things, so you're missing the best. Lay something down. That's a weight. Some of you have a sin or maybe a few pet sins that are easily entangling, ensnaring you, holding you back. Strip it away. Turn it over to the Lord today because what we're going to see over the next few weeks, and this is where the turn comes, God's discipline is on the horizon. The writer's giving them fair warning. God's discipline is on the horizon. And I just want you to come today and lay anything and everything down. I know what somebody's thinking. I can't go to that altar today. They'll think I don't have it all together. Reality check, we know you don't because none of us do. So get over that and maybe the first thing you lay down is pride. But some of you today also know someone and they're just all tangled up. So whether you come for yourself, and that would be the first part of the invitation, or whether you come as an intercessor for someone else who's all tangled up, 
I'm asking you to come and look to Jesus. Come and look to the author and finisher of our faith. He went all the way. He endured to the end so that we can too. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.